Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. Hello to everyone out there listening along. I appreciate you tuning in for another episode of The Claptrap. It is the Wednesday episode, and we are going to be talking about the Celtics, the Bruins, the Patriots in this one. we got a lot of stuff going on in the New England sports world, and I want to be able to get to all of it, especially the Bruins, which we're going to start off with the Bruins. So uh, for all my hockey heads out there, the people who tune in to listen to that kind of stuff, we're going to start off with the Bruins because they've been doing the best lately. Uh, I, I can't talk enough about how much fun I've been having watching this Bruins team recently. And you never know where this will go. Uh, but we're going to stay hopeful, obviously. And we're going to talk about We're going to break down some of these games here. You had a big game against the Lightning. You had a big game against the Capitals. Two of, if not the best teams in your conference. And so that was a, a huge couple of victories for that team. Now, I do want to get into the Celtics as well. Uh, so we're going to do that in a couple of segments from now. We're going to get into the Patriots to closer probably to the end of the show as well. But this is going to be starting off with the the, uh, the Bruins here. So for all of my hockey people out there, that's how we start things off. And I'm starting it with the Lightning game. Like I said, great game against them. We're talking about a Lightning team that was going into this game with 23 wins, 8 losses, and 5 overtime losses. They are hitting on all cylinders this year. This is this is a team, it should be no surprise to anybody, that the Lightning are a good team. Shocker. They, they you know, won two Stanley Cups in the last couple of years here. They are just a dominant force of hockey, and they're in probably the worst place to put a hockey team, but whatever, that's a whole nother tangent I could go off on, but the Bruins were able to beat the Lightning on Saturday night by a score of 5-2. to two. They are continuing on their ridiculous scoring pace, which I know eventually will have to change, but man, at this point, it, you gotta be loving the fact that these line changes have really worked. I get that some people are a little bit annoyed that we've taken this long to make this change, and who knows how long it'll last that it's going to work this good. It, it just can't work at this level the entire time, but if we can come back just a little bit and keep getting a little bit more scoring from two or three lines consistently, man, we're going to be a tough team to beat. We're going to be able to show some teams in the playoffs. I'm not talking about a uh, possible Stanley Cup run yet, but this team is going to be annoying enough that teams are not going to want to face them in the playoffs. Now, in the last episode, when I was talking about the Bruins, <clears throat> I was a little bit upset about the fact that Bruce Cassidy had switched back the lines to the perfection line at the end of the wild game, and I was giving him a little bit of room on that one, now understanding that maybe it was just for one game and they were switching it up at the last second to try and get back in that wild game where they're down 3-2, to two, it's only one goal, you switch things up, maybe you get back in that game. The biggest fear I had, though, was that you were going to come out the next game against the Lightning, and all of a sudden we were just going to see that the perfection line is back. <coughs> Excuse me. That is not what happened. You went right back to the lines, and they have kept it for the, the two games since then. So I am very happy to admit that I was very wrong on that one uh, about my nerves continuing with that whole situation because Bruce Cassidy didn't make the, the mistake of going right back to the way the lines were before. So I'm very happy about that, and it has worked out. You had the five goals against the Lightning, two for Pasternak, two for Marshan. So you got two lines scoring here for the team. You're doing a great job with that. Linus Olmark, he is playing pretty good. 
as a goalie right now, and we're going to get into the newest goalie news as well because we do have the signing of Tuka Rask to go over, the, the re-re-signing of Tuka Rask, and we're going to see what that means for the team going forward, but I was very happy. I was very happy with this performance overall. It felt as though we were on. Maybe the Lightning were a little bit off, but that doesn't matter. you got to show up still. I think that Linus Olmark had some great moments in this game here. I keep saying Linus. It's it's Linus, I believe, is how you pronounce it. Whatever. I don't even really care. He had that a couple of great saves in an early penalty kill for the Bruins. That was awesome. Started off us off on the right foot. The game was, uh, you know, the Bruins were just better on, on all facets of the game. And you can start talking about a little bit of puck luck, too, which is something that I talk about constantly on this show, that if you don't have the puck luck, what are you supposed to do, right? This is not this is not a sport where you can just be dominating the entire time and it's going to show on the scoreboard. Sometimes it just doesn't. It's unfortunate. It's just how it is. But I was happy to see that they were able to do that against the the Lightning. I was very happy to see what they were able to do against the Capitals. We're going to get into that as well. But just to really quickly go over it, Tuka Rask has been signed now to the Bruins for a one-year deal worth $1 million. The very veteran minimum-style contract there. And he is going to be signing it or has signed it at a midpoint in the season. So that means it will be prorated down to $550,000 that Tuka Rask will make for that season. I got to say I like that. I, I got to say I like that. It doesn't matter what I've said about Tuka Rask before and how much I don't believe in him. The fact that he's willing to come back for nothing, <clears throat> and make no mistake about it, excuse me once again, that contract is nothing. For, for a Tuka Rask who could definitely go out there and demand to get three, four million for a season, he could very easily do that. And teams would give that to him just from his track record, regardless of him coming off of a groin injury, all that stuff. He is able to command that type of a presence or that type of a contract from a team. So I'm very happy that he's willing to come in here, take nothing. Once again, that is nothing. A $500,000 contract. Great for all of us listening along. For him, not not anything. That's 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 uh, that's ashtray money, right? That's nothing for Tuka Rask. So I'm happy to hear about that. I don't love the fact that it's going to push Swayman down, but I'm happy that Tuka is in that position. He's in that mindset, and I want to keep talking about that and the Capitals game when we come back after this on ninety point seven WKKL. The Claptrap with your host Zach Clap. So to start off the show, we've been talking about the Bruins, and we were talking about that great win that they had against the Tampa Bay Lightning, 5-2 to two over the weekend, beating up on a team that is a top-tier team, not only in your conference, but in the league, I would say, overall, right? The, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning are a consensus top-rated team in the league. It doesn't matter that they're the number one or the number two team in the Atlantic because the Florida Panthers love to have a great regular season. The Lightning are the team to beat, in my opinion, and the Bruins were able to do it. They were able to do it convincingly, too, five to two in that game over the weekend. And you think, man, this team is scoring a ton of goals right now. They have they they have scored twenty one goals over five games since the COVID break. At that point, going into a Capitals game where it was, you're thinking, okay, this this run has been great, but there's no way that they're going to go out there and dominate again, right? They're not just going to continue scoring out of their minds. Wrong. They go out there and they put up seven goals in a hockey game. It was seven to three. It was a first quarter football score for the end of this this hockey game here. Seven to three. 
That's ridiculous. That I, I mean, the amount of goals that were scored in this one, we'll get into it. There's a little bit of puck luck, obviously. There were some weird situations, some weird bounces, some weird plays. You had Marshan bloodied all over the place and, and then scoring goals. It was just a weird night overall, I would say. But to be able to not only beat the Lightning in a dominating fashion and then turn around a couple days later and do the same thing, if not more dominant, against the Capitals, man, you got to start looking at this team. I said it in the first segment there. I, I, I know that this team, you shouldn't get too far ahead of yourselves as a Bruins fan and think Stanley Cup right now, but... They're starting to show some signs of just being enough to to annoy the crap out of a team, really get in it in a, a series against a, a possible better opponent in the playoffs. Hopefully you end up getting a good matchup, but if we go in there as a wild card team into the playoffs, there's going to be teams that do not want to play the Bruins. I can guarantee you that. The way that they've been playing recently, the amount of goals that they've been scoring, 28 goals over six games. I know that that's an unreasonable expectation to keep anywhere near that type of a pace going. But, I, oh, this has just been very fun for me. This has been very fun for me overall. And I'm sure any Bruins fans out there feel the exact same way. But you had this game here. You give up two goals early, too, in the game against the Capitals. You had that bad play by Olmark. It was a weird bounce off the backboard, uh, backboards area. Comes up, hits him kind of in his right pad. He doesn't slow down the puck. It shoots right back out in front of the net. Easy goal for the Capitals. Start the game off there. Then you have the the bad Grizzlick play where it looked like he was trying, I guess, to go up the boards with the puck, but he just did not. He went right out in front of the net, or maybe it tipped off of somebody's skate. If I'm looking at it closer next time, I don't know. It could have been a little bit of a tip, but it looked like he just had a horrible dump-out play in mind, basically passed it right to the Capitals player for a nice, easy, open netter right out in front of the net. So, Grizzlick and Olmark, two really bad plays to start off the game. You're thinking, okay, this is the this is what's going to happen here. We, we've been riding such a high now. You come in, you play the Capitals, you kind of get punched in the mouth, and we come back down to earth a little bit. But no, you come right back, you get your five-on-three, and it's a great great couple of goals, or five-on-three and then a five-on-four. Great couple of goals from Pasternak and Marshan. Obviously, the Pasta won an absolute laser off the post and in from a great feed from Marshan. But five on three, it is what it is. Your your majority of the time, you're going to score in a five on three. It just happens that way in hockey. Then you get the five on four goal from Marshan, and that was a great great job there. Great job by him. Great job by the team. You're scoring on the power play. You're able to tie up this game. Then things start getting crazier throughout this this game here. I would say. Grizzly breaks into the zone and snaps off a nice little snapshot right past the goaltender that probably should have been saved. All right, so that was nice and easy for us. You got the Lazar attempt at wrapping the puck around the net, and it just luckily goes out, leaks right to Craig Smith, and you he gets an open goal. So that's that's extremely lucky as well. It looked like on the broadcast they're talking about how you know. Lazar wraps around the net and passes out in front of the net. No, he 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 tried to stuff that thing, and it just luckily went directly to our player. So once again, a little bit, a bit of puck luck. Nothing wrong with that. And then you end up having some great goals by uh, t- the two-on-one that happened with Hall and Pasta. And, man, I just can't you know get over how quickly Hall and Pasta have looked 
just so comfortable. I know we've seen it in the past where you've had little stints. You put them in the same area. Maybe they're on a power play. Maybe they just get caught out there on the same line or something like that. And they look like they have good chemistry. But since putting them on the same line with Howla, this team, they have some good chemistry there. So you had the 2-on-1 Hall pass to Pasta. Great pass there. You had another great pass by Hall after another great entry to Howla, who wristed a, a snipe right into the corner. So that was a good one, too. It was good. It was looking good, people. I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited. I, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Once again, as I said with Tuca in the last one, it's going to be a weird timing for Tuca to come back. I would have really hated it if he had come in here and been demanding like a three or four million dollar contract, but him only making one million or half of that because it's prorated makes me feel a lot better about the situation that Tuca is really coming in to give an effort. He has said all the right things so far about how he doesn't want things to end the way they have in the last couple of seasons. And obviously the locker room loves him. So we're going to be able to get that. So I'm happy. I'm happy about the way that things are going. Also, just to finish off the Capitals game real quickly, you had that incident where Marchand gets a stick to the face. He's all bloodied up. That big old schnoz of his is cut up. He's bleeding all over the place. He goes. He gets a little butterfly band-aid or whatever you want to call it. He gets back out on the ice, and he immediately snipes a goal. So... everything was going for the Bruins in this one. I I was very happy with the performance. I was very happy with who they were doing it against. I think that matters most because it doesn't matter if you're scoring seven goals against the Buffalo Sabres or against the Montreal Canadiens that you're going to end up playing tonight. But it does matter if you score seven goals against the Capitals, especially after just beating up on the Lightning a couple of days before. I'm excited, people. I'm excited. I hope I'm not excited for no reason. I think that this team can be good. I think that we can be, at very minimum, very annoying in the playoffs to a good team. So let's start getting excited. I'm going to start talking about trades that need to happen to kind of bolster this team. I still do believe that this team needs more offense. I'm starting to believe now that that offensive position that is needed is going to be another center. So hopefully we'll be able to find something like that. I'm going to start researching into players possibly that the Bruins could go after, that Sweeney could target, and we're going to talk about that in the future. But now I want to start talking about the Celtics. So we're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. The Celtics are once again on a two-game win streak. Tell me if you heard of that before. The Celtics are on a two-game win streak right now and about to play the Pacers in Indiana tonight. I've talked about in the past how fluffy their January schedule has been, or was going to be, and it's been very upsetting that they've already lost two games in January. I, I, we've talked about the Spurs game that they lost. I was, What are we doing there? You talk about the Knicks game where Fournier had the career game and whatever. I guess we can talk about that and, and how you can kind of throw that to the side because – How often is Evan Fournier going to be shooting like Steph Curry and not being able to miss whatsoever? You bounce back nicely against the Knicks, as you should. As you should beat a team like that, that should be worse than you. You beat them 99-75. to And then you go on and you end up beating the Pacers after a really tough battle. And we're going to get into the whole thing there. I want to break down both of those games a little bit here, but man. Even after winning the two games right now, is anyone convinced that this team is any better off? We're sitting at 20 and 21 here. And I know that at this point, I feel like the the green teamers probably tune me out whenever I talk about the Celtics, just because I'm very down on them and I'm very out on them from this season. It's 
to me, reasonable to be out on this team because of the frustrating levels that they have put us through throughout this entire season. Once again, it's very nice. You beat the Knicks, a team that you should have beat the first time on the Thursday beforehand, but you beat them this last Saturday, this past Saturday over the weekend. And it was in part due to the fact that they didn't have Evan Fournier, who has absolutely destroyed the Celtics this entire year in the three or four matchups that he's had against them. So it was a a a, a Knicks squad that was undermanned and not ready to go coming off of that win that they had just had over the Celtics. I was surprised that Fournier didn't play in this one, but they had to do what they had to do. Celtics were able to take care of business, and like I said, they beat them 99-75. to Great job by them. It was, it was a great performance by Jalen Brown. He had a very good triple-double, I believe his first of his career, 22-11-11 in this one here on 15 shots. Very efficient, 34 minutes played, and he did a great job. He was the reason that this team was able to capitalize on a subpar Knicks team without their, one of their best players, I should say. Great job. Love it. The thing I really want to talk about, though, that came from this Knicks game is the reaction that happened from Jason Tatum to Kendrick Perkins calling him out. Now, if you haven't seen this already, after that Knicks game, what happened was Kendrick Perkins, the man who is now just in the media, just trying to get players riled up, he's there to say the things that a lot of people are thinking, but most media personalities won't say because he's Perkins. He doesn't care. He's already made money. He's doing this probably more for fun. I mean, obviously, he's not so well off that he doesn't have to do this. He still has to work probably, but... What I'm saying is he's just out there to get people riled up because he knows at the end of the day, if he needed to, he could just leave and go back to being retired and he'd be fine. So he can say whatever he wants. He, you know, he's got the, the Shaq level or the Charles Barkley level, obviously not that level of a uh, career. Don't get, don't get crazy. Don't anyone out, out there be yelling at me saying that I'm comparing Perkins to Shaq and Barkley. That is not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is he can go and just say whatever he wants because he doesn't care. He doesn't care if he doesn't end up having the job from this, whatever. And it's not like he said something too crazy here. But what he did tweet out was Jalen Brown completely took over this game with his first triple-double of his career. Played a perfect game while Jason Tatum went 6 of 14 from the field. They got the win, though. Carry on. That's all he said. That was the tweet. And obviously, he's poking at Tatum there. He's, he's, he's realizing that, yes, I can compliment this player, but I can also take a little shot at this player right here, and we'll see what happens. Now, what I would think is should happen when a player gets called out by a media member is that they ignore it. Even if you see it, you just ignore it. I, d I understand that in today's game, you have a lot of the, the younger generation players who can't stay off Twitter. They can't stay off the social media. They see what everybody says. They read everything. They watch everything. They just keep feeding it into their brain constantly. They can't seem to turn it off just because that is the new way of the, of the, of the world. Everybody's on their phones all the time. Everybody's on social media, all that stuff. I get that. I don't, I don't think it's a good thing. I get that. That's where the times are though. So of course, Jason Tatum saw it. Of course he saw what Perkins said 
And his response, the fact that he even had a response is crazy, but his response was this tweet out, quote, tweet Kendrick Perkins and say, normalizing uplifting one man without bringing another one down. JB played great. It's all right to leave it at that. Wah. Come on, Tatum. Man, I. this is tough because I say this all the time on this show. Bend over. I will kiss it. Tatum, do whatever you want to keep you on this team. But that doesn't mean he's not a whiny superstar baby. This is such a baby move by Tatum. And I just want to say, grow up, man. I, I get it. You're still very young. You're only, what, five seasons into the league. You're still an extremely young player, and you're very immature. I get that. But why can you not ignore somebody like Kendrick Perkins, who is literally just trying to get this reaction out of you? He just wants you to say something stupid, to go off about the fact that Kendrick Perkins said something about me. And you did it. You gave him exactly what he wanted. This is what Kendrick Perkins is there for. He's trying to invoke emotions out of these players that most media members can't get because he has that ability to say, I don't care. I'll just go back and be retired. That's why I was saying that before. He has the ability to say whatever he wants. So why are you responding to that person? I don't care what he said. I don't care how you feel about it. Why are you responding to him? I want to keep talking about this. I'm going to keep talking about this when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're talking Jason Tatum. We're talking the comments that he made on Twitter, the tweet that he had after the Knicks game. Now, it was all sprung by the Kendrick Perkins tweet where he said that Jalen Brown completely took over this game with his first triple-double of his career, played a perfect game while Jason Tatum went 6 of 14 from the field. They did get the win, though. Carry on. That's what, Tat that's what Perkins said. That's all he said. And for Tatum to even give it a response shows how far that's stuck in his craw. Shows how far he is willing to go to make it known that he is not okay with these comments. I, why are you even responding? I keep saying this. I said at the end of the last segment there, I'm going to keep saying it now. Why are you even entertaining what Kendrick Perkins has to say? Why are you entertaining what any media member has to say? Why are you entertaining what someone like me would have to say? You shouldn't. You should be completely blinded. You should be deaf in these situations. You should not be reading anything. You should not be watching anything. Why do you care? One of the things that I've enjoyed most, and I'm going to bring it really quickly to football here, about Mac Jones coming into the league, and whether it's because the Patriots have done this to him or he does it on his own, is he does not do social media. He just doesn't do it. He doesn't follow along. He doesn't tweet out replies. He doesn't go out there and, and get in interactions with people. Not, he doesn't do it. So why not take that page from that book and just ignore it, Tatum? I don't. Why are we doing this? You just looked so soft responding to this. There was no reason to do this. You felt that you needed to go out there and say that you need to normalize uplifting one man without bringing another man down because that's going to stop Kendrick Perkins, right? Is that what you were hoping for? That the big bad Kendrick Perkins was going to stop saying things that were going to piss you off? Stop reading it. Stop looking. <laughs> Be focused on your own game. Why do you care? I, I get it. This nowadays, 
the the media world is is so ingrained with what happens with the players and the players want to be likable to everybody especially in the NBA they want to be the superstar the guy that everybody loves that everybody has nothing bad to say about they also hope that any former player that has played in the last 10 15 years knows exactly what they're going through in this situation so why would they ever say anything bad about them right well i got to tell you they're doing it because they're trying to keep their job. Or they're doing it because they're trying to be better at their job. Just like you should be, Tatum. You should be focused on your job and what you're doing to make yourself better. Because this team is in a tough spot right now, sitting at 20-21 and 21 with an arguably top 10 player on their squad in Jason Tatum. And he's more focused on what Kendrick Perkins is saying about him in Twitter world. What, what planet am I living on? Stay focused on what you're doing. That's what Kendrick Perkins is, is doing. He is just doing his job. He is getting you riled up, and he's doing it better than anyone else. What you need to do to actually stop Kendrick Perkins from doing that is to ignore it. The more you feed into it, the bigger the monster gets. I, I love Kendrick Perkins. I love what he's able to do, and I hope he continues doing it. It's a lot for me to be able to talk about. But man, Jason Tatum, it is so soft when you respond to this, especially in the manner that you did in the whiny manner that you responded in here. I don't understand it. I don't get it whatsoever. I, I just don't. So you had that game for the Celtics. They beat the Knicks. They come back, and they almost lose to the Pacers because this team just – it's it's a 50-50 team. It's, I can't get over the fact that this is just going to be a 500 team the whole way. They'll win one game, then they'll look crappy in the next. They'll look really good, and they'll show you that they can be a team that can pass the ball and, and, and moves it around and makes plays and does all these things, and they'll do it for three quarters, and then they'll not show up in the fourth quarter. This team does not understand how to win crucial games. I saw a stat in that Pacers game that was shown on the TV that said that in games that were decided by five points or less, this was before the end of that Pacers game, remember, Games that were decided by five points or less, the Celtics are 2-11 and 11 in that season. Now, obviously, they went on to win this game against the Pacers in overtime, so they got up to 3-11. and 11. But that is so bad to show that you are just that incapable of winning in crunch time when it is a close game. You're able to be in these games, and you're just not able to do it. You can't get over that hump. I believe it's because they go away from the team basketball late in games, and that's the reason that we end up getting screwed over in these in these all of these matchups here. The reason why you were two and eleven in games that were five points or less at the end is because you go away from what works and you try something different. Now, I will say I was extremely happy with the end of the game by Jason Tatum in this one here. This is what I want out of Jason Tatum. When your three point shot is not working you start driving to the basket. And that's what he did at the end of this game against the Pacers. In the fourth quarter, He, you could see that he had switched it in his mind. He was not going to settle for the jump shots from outside the three-point arc. He was going to drive, and he was either going to dish, he was going to try and get a foul, or he was trying to just lay it in. That's what he was trying to do. And that's what this team needs to do when they're not shooting good. They, I know that in this day and age of the NBA, the analytics say you should always shoot threes because it's more likely to go down and then it's better for the team overall. That's one extra point per shot, blah, 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 all this uh, nerd stuff, right? And that's what's made it so that more people shit out there and shoot threes and everybody shoots threes now. But when it's not working and you're in a close game in a crucial point in the season where you need to win as many games as possible, switch it up. 
change it up, start attacking the basket. The game, you can change the game in that sense, and especially in these ones where you're close. I, I get it if you have to launch up some threes if you're down 15, 20 points, but when you're in a close game, switch it up. So I love the way that Tatum switched his mindset. I loved that final play in the four, in the, the fourth quarter where he was able to get a nice little 10, 8, 10-foot 10 jump shot in his spot to the side of the hoop. It was a little bit double covered, but he did a great job, and that was a shot that he practices a, a million times every single day. That is the shot that I want, closer to the basket, don't settle for a fadeaway three-point shot, then we're going to be able to do something. That's what you need to do, more of that, and I was excited for it. So I was happy about that, and then they showed up in the overtime period, and they were able to beat a Pacers squad that stinks, by the way. They stink. They're not good. So now we're sitting at 20 and 21. You play the Pacers again tonight in Indiana. We'll see how that goes, because you have the Pacers tonight in Indiana, then you have to play the Sixers in Philadelphia, and then it's the Bulls at home. So these next couple of games here are going to be the toughest of January, I got to say. The rest of it is fluff. After that, you go Pelicans, Hornets, Trailblazers, Wizards, Kings, Hawks, Pelicans again. These are all teams that stink. These are all teams that are worse than you by record or just by actual physical skill. So this team should be able to get better. I believe it. I think that they should. We'll see if it actually happens. All right, now it's time, though, to switch things up. So we're going to start talking about the Patriots when I come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. All right, it is time to talk about the New England Patriots. They are coming off of a tough loss to the Miami Dolphins. They got swept in the season series between the division rivals. Uh, it, was a t- it was a tough loss, tough beat. In a situation where, at the end of the day, you know, we really would have liked this to be able to control our destiny on which team we ended up playing. But it wasn't like you were going to get the division or anything like that. You didn't really be able to move up a a, a ton. It would have been nice to be able to get the fifth seed, though. So I, I would have liked that. But... I brought back in Andrew to talk about this Patriots game. We're going to talk about the the Patriots-Dolphins game to start off. We're going to get into some old takes that we had at the beginning of the year, see how, uh, you know, how, how we were thinking going into the season, if we were right in our overall predictions. And then we're going to look forward to the Bills game, the playoff game that is coming up this Saturday. But first, I got to ask Andrew, how you doing? How you feeling coming off of this loss to the Dolphins? I've actually just kind of put that in the back of my mind, you know what I mean? Regular season's over, let's focus on the playoffs, it's a new season starting right now, team is 0-0 zero and zero as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I like that, <laughs> that's, that's the best thing to do because that was certainly a frustrating loss, but you do, you have to put that out of your head and I hope that the team can put it out of their minds, they can move forward, all be thinking just about the Bills, just like we've been hearing all the coaches say, like McDaniels and, and, and Mayo who have been asked to go get other coaching opportunities. They're focused on the Bills. They're focused on the Bills, just as we should be. But I do want to go over some of the frustrating things that happened in this game because I think that there were some moments, uh, some things that we can pick out, some things that I'm worried about and hopefully will not persist going forward. Now, what I'm talking about here is a little bit of both the the defense and the offense. I think that we start off this game absolutely terrible. Obviously, going down so big so early was tough. You had the J.C. Jackson uh, being completely lost on that Waddle touchdown to start off the game. 
He had Mac Jones making poor decisions, throwing interceptions, including a pick six. He had Dietrich Wise, who I thought had one of his worst games of his career, completely lost. I saw that guy, you know, first he's biting on the the run fake when the quarterback keeps it. Then he's biting on the quarterback when the run keeps it. He was all over the place. Were there any big plays or big players that I should say that really stuck out in your mind, Andrew, that really disappointed you in this one? Because I got a few that I could go rattle off real quick. Yeah, I mean, it was a far from perfect game from just about everybody on the field. Um, I definitely agree with you on Dietrich Wise. Um, He seemed to have reverted back to his old self, just making crucial mistakes in crucial situations, and you just can't have it. But, I mean, for me, I feel like very early on, when Mac threw that pick six, I, you know, I kind of saw the writing on the wall then. I'm like, all right, like, you know, this is how this game's going to go. This is how they're coming out. Like, thankfully they don't need this game for a playoff berth. It would have been nice. I mean, ultimately the Bills ended up winning, so you didn't have a chance at the division anyways, but uh, just, you want to end the season on a strong note and they most certainly didn't do it um, on Sunday. Yeah, that's, that's what you were hoping. I mean, we saw the game against the Jaguars in which you dominate. You put up the 50-burger. Oh, it's all exciting. We're all happy. You know, they're dominating a absolutely trash Jaguars team, as they should, and being able to take it, take care of business. But then you go and play Miami, and I know we have the history of not being able to play good down in Miami late in the season. That's been ever since even Tom Brady was here. That's just how it goes. And you could talk about the fact that it's because the weather gets warmer or the weather is warm down there and we're used to the cold and we go down there and we're sweating our butts off and all this stuff but it just seemed like stupid mistakes were happening I could even talk about the uh, the, the the fake punt play with Brandon Bolden where he the punter is giving himself up about two or three yards before the first down and you still go that hard at him I understand and at the time I was yelling about how he touched his shoulder he didn't even hit his helmet all this stuff but then when, the more I thought about it, the, the more I was wondering, why are you even going that hard in that situation when the punter was giving himself up already there? Were you as pissed off about that play as I was? Which side were you on? Um, I wasn't really pissed at Bolden there because I felt like he was starting to commit to the tackle as the slide began or even maybe slightly before. It was kind of a bang-bang play. I would just more, you know, again, I hate to do this week after week, but more infuriated with the officials. Like, that is just a terrible call. And terrible calls seem to have become the norm lately in the NFL. And, you know, that's not just against the Patriots either. That's It's becoming a league-wide issue. The officiating this year has just, it's been as bad as I've seen since the year they had the replacement refs. Yeah, that was pretty bad. I mean, I I can't say that the refs haven't been making terrible calls, but once again, I I, I know that you're you're going more ref way here. I'm going more bold in way this one. I I'm actually kind of thinking this is a a perennial special teamer guy who should know more about special teams, but he's been so focused on how good he's been doing on offense this year that maybe he doesn't remember how to be a special team guy. Obviously, I'm kidding. I just I was upset the fact that he was even going for that when the the puncher was so scared. It's not like the the punter was leaning his shoulder forward trying to gain an extra couple of yards. He was giving himself up, but I get that. He was already attempting to make the tackle. You had to try and finish it. It just it, it was very bang bang, but I'm just upset at all things there. So, that was frustrating. 
It was also very frustrating later on in the game when I saw a, a play where both Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne are trying to cross. They end up, instead of just crossing by each other and continuing their routes, they almost run into each other. They stop mid-route, and then they're just kind of looking at each other. Mac Jones throws the play. It was it looked like it was an out route to the left, and I think it should have been Myers that could have kept running, but instead him and Bourne get tangled up. They stop running. Mac Jones is yelling at them. He's all frustrated. Are you worried at all? about the fact that either they were just not on the same page in this one or the fact or were you happy that Mac was able to kind of get on their butts about it what did you think about that do you know what I'm talking about that play yeah I remember um personally like I know a lot of people like to see the I, I don't know if you'd call it growth out of Mac to be like oh you know he's yelling he's getting vocal that's you know becoming more of a leader it's like he he shouldn't even have to do that you know he's a rookie these are veteran guys um you know I I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, I guess, on that one play. But, I mean, just these types of mistakes, though, they're becoming more and more common. You know, at the start of the year, we were seeing a lot of that. Uh, they cleaned it up a little bit during the win streak. But, you know, I remember at the beginning of the year saying, and to your point about, you know, the special teams being bad with Bolden, like, it. we kept saying, oh, this is very uncharacteristic of the Patriots. This, these mistakes, these penalties, these poor special teams play, this is all very uncharacteristic. But it's like okay, it's been going on for the entire year now pretty consistently, it's no longer uncharacteristic. It's kind of what they've become this year, and I think that is the bigger problem than any one particular play or mistake or penalty or anything like that. So true, and it's frustrating because of how we've been in past seasons, how this team operates, the way that they take advantage of special teams and take advantage of every single side of the ball and being as as uh, you know on point with everything, their coaching, their plays, all the players know what they're doing. It has certainly not felt that way this year, so very frustrating overall, and I've been upset about it, but... You know, this is kind of what we expected, and I kind of want to get into the predictions that we had. We'll go into the Wayback Machine when we come back after this, and we're going to talk about some of the predictions we had for this team this year and more. After this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We have been talking about the Patriots. I brought Andrew on to talk about the game that happened between the Patriots and the Dolphins in the final game of the regular season where there was only really the ability for the Patriots to keep the fifth seed overall so that they could play against the Bengals, the matchup that I desperately wanted. But unfortunately, you weren't able to take advantage of that, that last game against Miami. Miami beats us. We are now sitting in a position where we have to play the Buffalo Bills. We are 10-7 and seven on the year. And it kind of reminds me, and, and Andrew and I had been talking about it during the week, about the predictions that we had made to start off the season. So I wanted to go back and kind of bring back those predictions that we had, see where our mindset was leading into the season. So right now, we're going to take a little trip down the Wayback Machine here and listen to a couple of takes from Andrew and myself, and then we will discuss. So here we go. That's what that's what NFL teams are. I'm sorry, but you can you can be the coolest, calmest guy. You can be the one dancing around at practice and everything and sound good, hold my nuts, whatever you want to say in the practices and things like that. But does that translate to you being able to go against a full time NFL defense? Because we always talk about or I've always joked about Alabama's maybe the 33rd uh, NFL team or whatever, but there's no other NFL teams in the in the college ranks that are going to give you a good enough defense so I, I don't know. I There's going to be rookie struggles. 
I think that everyone honestly knows that deep down, and they're all just getting excited about it. But to put yourself in that position where the expectations are so ridiculously high right out the gate, I think that that's just uh, going to be a detriment to Mac Jones at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And one other thing I'd add to that is when you, you see it all the time with rookies at pretty much every position in the NFL is towards the end of the year, you hit that rookie wall because right. it's a longer season. It's more of a grind. And Such it's like point. all of a sudden, you know, you're taking all these hits from NFL players and you go, like, oh, wow, this guy hits a lot harder than everybody in the SEC, you know? Right, right, right. That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah, no, uh, great point there. The season's longer, especially now that they added another regular season game. And then you're talking if you do make the playoffs, you're going even further into it there and even more pressure. So I don't know. I, I still expect this team, and I do want to get your opinion on this as well, to still win about 11 games. That's where I'm at with this team this year. I don't know where you're at yet. We're going to get into that in probably the next segment, but they are they are at a position where I think that they can still be a playoff team, but I think that the expectation should be you become a playoff team, you maybe can win a playoff game. It should not be any higher than that for you and your rookie quarterback this year. I'm sorry. That's just where I'm at. All right. So, as you can hear at the beginning of the year, uh, we the expectations had not really changed from where they are right now. You get into the playoffs, you're hopefully a playoff team, and you hopefully can get a win. I think that Andrew and I have been pretty on point with that throughout the entire time. I think most or majority of realistic Patriots fans have had that same expectation, so it's not surprising we are where we are. Maybe I thought we could have got to 11 wins, and there certainly were some abilities or, or, or chances to get to that 11-win threshold, but the real comment that I want to talk about with that little clip right there is when Andrew pulled out that it is a long season and he is a rookie. So basically, what by going with the gist of what Andrew said, there's a possibility to hit that rookie wall, kind of. And over these last couple of games, we've seen Mac Jones not having his best performances. Obviously, we've now lost three out of the last four games at the, to end off the regular season. Sure, you had a great game against the Jaguars, but does that even really count? Do you feel as though... Andrew, Mac Jones is hitting kind of that rookie wall at this point, and it's going to be trouble for us going into this Bills game. Where are you at with that whole thing? I mean, it certainly looks like he's hit the wall. I mean, obviously everybody wants to, you know, be excited about, hey, the big 50-burger against Jacksonville, you know what I mean? And hey, on one hand, yeah, it's an NFL defense. It's a team that you had the Buffalo Bills struggle with and only put up six points against at one point in the season. But the bigger picture is since the bye, three of the last four, Max, his accuracy has dropped considerably. Um, his decision-making hasn't been as sound. It's just the NFL season is taking a toll on him, as it does on every rookie, you know. And I think it's it's probably going to be pretty detrimental going into the playoffs. Um, but at the same time, you know, like – the team could rally around that. Mac can certainly be like, okay, it's the playoffs, you know, refocus and kind of dig deep to pull something out there as well. But, um, I mean, physically, yeah, I think it's hard to say that he hasn't hit the wall when three of his last four performances have been subpar. It's true. It's very true. It's looking bad. And now I've started to hear reports of the fact that Mac Jones has multiple injuries going on. I think he has something going on with his right shoulder. He has something going on with his leg, obviously. He's got stuff going on with his hands. 
I, that's what I'm hearing reports. Do you think that there's anything to those reports just being almost like an excuse at this point? Like, hey, guys, don't expect much. Mac is really banged up. We're about to – he's already hit that rookie wall. We're about to play his 18th game of the year when he's used to playing a college schedule. Do you think that they're getting out ahead of things with hearing those reports, or where are you at now knowing that Mac Jones is a little more banged up with than we thought? Well, I've always kind of been in the camp that he was a lot more banged up than we thought throughout the year. Like, he's been wearing a knee brace since the start of the season, you know, and everyone's sure. like, oh, you know, it's, hey, it's nothing to worry about, it's just precautionary, blah, blah, No, nobody, like, I don't wear, like, a shoulder brace to work as a precautionary measure. I wear that if I have an injury, you know? <laughs> so, I think there's that. And then, if you remember back to the early part of the season, the offensive line was simply not doing his, its job. Mac Jones was getting hit far too hard and far too often. And I think that it's just, it's kind of a compounding effect. You know, you keep taking those hits every single week. You get dinged up early. By the end of the year, you know, you're going to be even more so dinged up. And where he's a rookie, like a young kid, you know, a little, not fully developed as far as, um, like, he hasn't been on an NFL, like, strength training and nutrition program. I mean, everybody's seen, like, the famous photo of him shirtless with the cigar after a game, like... You know, he, he doesn't really have that grown man's NFL body yet, so it's just... no boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so does Tom Brady, though, but, you know, we'll... Uh... <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> Not that I'm comparing the two, obviously, but, yeah, I, I think it's pretty reasonable to say that Max definitely banged up. He's taken a lot of hits. I mean, there's been a few few games where it's like you they show his face close up in the camera and he's got blood coming out of his mouth, you know? He's, he's getting hit. Far too often. I mean, it's, it hasn't been as bad lately, but those things take a toll on you, especially when you're young. Yeah, for sure. And he certainly is tough. I think that the injury that they're talking about with the right the right shoulder is possibly the same one that Jimmy Garoppolo had been going through for the last couple of seasons. So you saw that that knocked Jimmy Garoppolo out, and yet Mac Jones is still out there playing. So the kid is tough. There's a lot of good to see from it, but there is a possibility that he's hit that rookie wall, and it's because of his he's been getting banged up. Like you said, at times the offensive line has looked like trash. You've had Isaiah Wynn, who's a turn turnstile of a left tackle. It's not good for the team. It's not good for the rookie quarterback, but we'll see what can happen with them. they got a big game, like I said, against the, the Bills coming up here on Saturday. I do want to talk about that, so that's what we're going to do when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Okay, we're starting to wrap up the show here. We got one more segment. We got to talk about this Bills game. We got a big game on Saturday night against the Bills. It's the first playoff game for Mac Jones. It's the return of the Patriots to the playoffs. It's round three versus Buffalo, and it's going to be a tough one. It's already looking like it's going to be a very cold game. Not really. I haven't seen much about wind or anything like that, so it's not going to be anything ridiculous like the first time we played in Buffalo, but the actual temperature is going to be ridiculous. I believe I've been seeing things like six degrees to start off the game, so we'll see how things go there. It's going to be interesting. You hope as a Patriots fan that there's as much weather as possible, but I don't think it's going to be too much other than just cold weather. We're going to see what happens with this game. I think that there's going to be some key moments. I think Andrew has a few things that he wants to point out as well going into it. I got to say I'm extremely nervous I, I as a Patriots fan. I know that we're going in as the underdog here. We're going in as the wild card team, and we have just lost to the Buffalo Bills 
But I feel like a lot of people, a lot of fans are still excited and, and thinking that we can actually beat this Bills team handily. I think I, I feel like there's a, a feeling out there by some Patriots fans, which I don't understand. I'm very nervous about this game going in. I don't have a good feeling in my gut. How are you feeling going into this one, Andrew? Are you feeling okay? Are you feeling nervous? Where are you at? Um, kind of some mixed feelings. I mean, obviously, being the underdog going into a playoff game, you're going to be a little bit nervous because you always want your team to win every single game. You want to succeed. But on the other hand, I look at it as, hey, the Patriots are playing with house money here. You know, they're well ahead of schedule in year one of their rebuild. They made the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. Um, the Bills were, you know, presumptive Super Bowl favorites before the season started. Um, you know, they're at home. They're the, they're the division winners. They're, they're the team that has the quarterback that they just paid a whole ton of money to. So I think... The pressure is on them, and I actually kind of like that this game is on the road because, A, the Patriots have been better on the road this year. That might be a scheduling you know, anomaly with opponents. We don't know. But the bigger thing is I think it just puts more pressure on Buffalo because it's like if you lose, it's like, okay, you imploded. You know, you're the favorite. You're at home. You're one of the teams that people were picking to go to the Super Bowl, and you lost in the wild card round at home. You know, I think it just puts a little more pressure on the Bills there, so I feel good about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that we are the underdogs from that standpoint because there is less pressure. And obviously the Patriots always want to have that. Even back when we had Tom Brady, we wanted to be the underdogs that nobody thought could, could do anything in any certain game at any given moment. And then you surprise somebody. You come out and you give them a game that you don't think or most people didn't think you could do. So there is a little bit, though, to the fact that, yes, they would blow it and they would be imploding if they lost this game. But we talked about this before, Andrew, and I've actually started to come a little little bit back from my original uh, what is a successful season thoughts which was I, I just felt like they had to be in this game for me to consider this season a success I don't know I'm starting to feel like after losing three out of the last four games and the way that they finished this season if they lose this game to the Bills can we consider this season a success whatsoever, or do we have to look at the Patriots like they imploded as well? Because they had a chance. You were you were coming out of the bye with the number one seed in the conference, and now you end up here as a wild card spot. Do, do you think that there should be a little bit more to the Patriots of if they lose, this is a losing season and it's not a success whatsoever? Or are you still on how we were before about as long as they're in this game, it's okay? Um, I, th I think I'm still going to stick with the fact that, hey, they made the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. It, it is so rare that that happens, and I'm still going to call the season a success overall. But it's a good point by you that the way that they finished, yeah, like they had a chance to really, really exceed expectations and potentially do something special. And with, you know, that frame of mind, yes, they certainly did implode a little bit down the stretch because most of it's not like they're just purely getting beat on talent or anything like that. They're mostly shooting themselves in the foot in these games. Right, right. Now, that's and that's what gives me the feeling of, man, if you blow this game to the Bills, obviously, if they get blown out by the Bills, I'm saying 100% you guys imploded. But even if you lose this one, I'm starting to feel a little bit more like, man, you, you had a chance to either get a home playoff game or just have more control over your own destiny and you lost to teams like the Colts, who we saw ended up being not as good as we thought, or obviously the Miami Dolphins, a team that you think that you should have been able to beat at least once this year. So, I don't know, I'm frustrated from that standpoint. But as far as the actual game itself goes, the keys that I think, or the one major key that I think is going to be crucial for this game, I know a lot of people are talking about this right now, I don't care, I feel the exact same way. I feel like the Patriots need to get the ball to start this game. 
I feel like we need to get out, establish our offense, try and get a lead, and play from the front because this team feels still like a front-runner team to me that, yes, we are able to fight in certain games and get back in them, but I think you made this analogy off-air for me, and I'm going to use it right now. They're like the Celtics. It's like, sure, they're going to battle back and get into it, but do you actually feel confident that they're actually going to make the full comeback? I'm not. So I think this team needs to get the ball first, establish a lead, and play from there. Where are you at with that? I agree with that 100%, and I think the root of that is your two best offensive playmakers, for the most part, are running backs, you know, and the strength of your team is the offensive line. So when you get down early, you know, Damian Harris kind of gets scripted out of the game because you can't run anymore, you have to pass because you're down so much, you have to you have to close that gap. You know, I do think one of the big things that's going to work to the Patriots' advantage, actually, is going to be the Colt with their running games. I mean, look at, like, Damian Harris isn't huge, but he's a very violent runner. Ramondre Stevenson's a very big, strong, powerful guy. I mean, it's going to be zero degrees. Do you really want to tackle those guys, you know, 25, 30 times in the Colts? I know I certainly wouldn't want to. And then, you know, the other side of that is how it's going to affect the Bills. Everybody looks at the Bills and say, hey, they're in Buffalo, it's freezing up there, that makes them a cold-weather team. You know, the team might be a cold-weather team, but, you know, I've, I'm going to rattle off some stats here about Josh Allen when the temperature's below freezing, and he hasn't been particularly good. He's played five games when it's 31 degrees or colder. Overall, the team's record isn't bad at 3-2, and two, but Josh Allen in those games has completed 50.3% of his passes, only thrown for 166.6 yards for six touchdowns and seven interceptions. Yikes. And we, yeah, and we know the Patriots are at their best when they're forcing turnovers. They win almost all their games this year when they win the turnover battle. When they lose it, they lose games. I mean, that's true for most teams, but like, they're certainly not talented enough to lose a turnover battle and still win the game. And this looks to be a spot with Josh Allen's history where he's he might turn over the ball a few times in this game. So that's what the Patriots really got to hope for. Hopefully they can disguise them some coverages, but you know, with guys like Jalen Mills potentially not playing, that's going to really hurt them. Yeah, that's so true uh, and so frustrating, too, that that really is where this team is. I mean, I get it. We, we You still have a rookie quarterback, so it's not like going to be the comfortable behind team, but you hit the nail on the head with if we don't win the turnover battle, it's over. Because this team needs to play mistake-free football, make no mistake about it, or you are losing to this Bills squad. It's just if there's a pick, if there's a fumble, if there, anything from the Patriots – it's going to be really bad. There's going to be zero, little to no chance that they can come back in these games. I feel that way. You don't have the pass game. Once again, I'll say it for the millionth time this season, this team is built to run the ball. It's built for Cam Newton. It is not built for Mac Jones to be able to throw the ball. That's why you can't get back in games late in games. You don't have anybody. As much as I love Kendrick Bourne, and Jacoby Myers, and I say it all the time, Hunter Henry, all these players, I love them all. They're great, but they're built for a run-first football team. You need to get a lead. You need to establish that run game, and that's going to be the only way that you can win this game. You need to play bully ball against them in the zero-degree or close to zero-degree weather. Like you said, who was going to want to tackle these bowling balls that we have from the backfield in that kind of weather? So hopefully that's the case. We're going to see how things go. I'm going to have Andrew come back on Friday. We'll keep talking about this and other things uh, around, uh, revolving around the game and the NFL, things like that. Thank you, Andrew, for popping on the show here. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later in the week. All right. Always a pleasure. All right. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative.